All right, podcast family, here's how this scenario typically goes. And I want to know if this happens to you. I'm sure it does. If you're doing obstetrics, this call is not that unusual. You have a patient in labor and you get a phone call from the bedside nurse who says, hey, here's what's going on. She's progressing. It's all good. She was in latent phase, but now she's six centimeters. But here it comes, guys. But I think she's OP. Or let's advance the labor a little bit to make it a little bit more tantalizing. Hey, Dr. Chapa, your patient in room X, Y, and Z is progressing. I think she's like eight centimeters or so. She's completely effaced. Station's like at zero, but I think she's OP. So here's my question to you. When is the best time to attempt manual rotation to an occiput anterior position? Is it in the first stage of labor or is that traditionally and best practice at the second stage? We've got a lot of new data and by new I'm meaning from 2021 and 2022 that has really helped to answer this question. Yes, we've always understood about the cardinal phases of labor But even that has undergone some scrutiny in the last couple of years, and I'll explain that in a minute. So in this episode, I thought, you know what, since we just had this conversation with a colleague earlier today, we really need to tackle this issue of the OP presentation in the first stage of labor. Should we be rotating it to attempted anterior position at that time? Now, This is a different issue than trying maternal positions because that data is also a little controversial. It makes sense. It doesn't hurt. If you suspect a fetal malpresentation in the first stage of labor, change the maternal position. Let that baby descend in a more natural way. So whether that is in the sitting or semi-squatting position, if that's knee chest, whatever, rotate that patient to help that baby descend. I'm all for that. The data is a little gray in that, but it cannot hurt and may potentially help. But the question comes into manual rotation. In this episode, we're going to get into the different ways to do manual rotation, which includes either hold hand rotation, that's entire hand in the vagina, or digital, trying to rotate just with the, with the fingers. I'm not going to talk about instrumental rotation, even though we'll, we'll just touch on it, but not get that much into detail on that, because I want to focus on manual rotations, either hold hand uh, assisted or digital, just using the fingers to rotate. And I'll tell you which one is preferred, all right? But the whole question is this. Should we really be doing that in the first stage? Or is this an act? Is this a labor intervention that really should be left for the second stage? Again, we've got lots of data to help us answer this. So let's tackle this issue of manual rotation in labor, first stage or second stage. Let's do that now. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Persistent occiput posterior fetal position is a known risk factor for prolonged first and second stages of labor. It's also an increased risk for operative vaginal delivery, severe perinatal lacerations, cesarean delivery, and in some studies, lower APGAR scores and lower cord arterial gases because of the prolonged second stage of labor. So it's not just a mechanics issue, it has some real adverse maternal and neonatal aspects. 
based on who you read, persistent occiput posterior positions at the second stage can account for anywhere from 5% up to 8% of all cephalic deliveries. And again, that literature is very, very diverse, with some saying it's as low as 2% and some saying as high as 10%. All to say this whole issue of finding an occiput posterior position is not infrequent. And then you get that call of the patient who is OP at 6, 7, or 8 centimeters. So that's the question. What do we do? This is an interesting question, isn't it? I mean, that happens not infrequently. Now, I want to be very clear here. Really, that I'm focusing on the occiput posterior conundrum, all right? Because if the baby is stuck in a transverse way, that could be a flag, all right? So persistent transverse position could be a mid-pelvic, a bony pelvis issue. Plus, it's very hard to try to rotate with a persistent transverse position because by definition, it, it's stuck in there, which is why it can't rotate. Does that make sense? So even though we're going to talk about the cardinal phases and we're going to remind ourselves what those are and why some people say that there's four, not seven, I'll explain that in a minute. Deep transverse arrest could be a flag, all right? Because if there was room, that baby would have rotated, even if it rotates the wrong way, which is occiput posterior. So I want to be very clear. The success with persistent transverse fetal uh, orientation, okay, that's the position, not the presentation. Pr presentation is cephalic. The position, which is the way that the, the suture is located, the, the posterior fontanelle, its relation to the maternal pelvis, persistent transverse, you can try to rotate, dislodge and try to rotate, but by definition, if there's something that's not preventing it to do that naturally, that could be a flag, all right? So persistent transverse fetal eye is not a contraindication to attempted manual rotation, but for the purposes of this episode, and as it typically goes in a clinical case, most of these concerns are with persistent occiput posterior positions, all right? So the question that we're going to answer is, what does baby actually look like during the course of labor? We now have ultrasounds that have done this. Could you imagine these studies uh, and getting women to recruit for this thing? And I'm going to show you a couple of There's two studies that are almost identical, done by different authors in different locations, where periodically, longitudinally, throughout a course of labor, in between labor checks, they had uh, ultrasound done, typically transabdominally, to look to see where the orbits are to try to figure out and confirm if the baby was OA or OP. Yes, that can be done manually by checking the cervix, hand in the vagina, but that's blinded, right? I mean, what's the, not to, to have a, a provider say, oh, yeah, that's definitely OP. You have to take their word for it if it's on a vaginal exam. So by, by using an ultrasound to try to gauge position and view position, it became more objective. Does that make sense? And, and it, it was basically a validation tool versus just guessing by a vaginal exam. So to be very clear, persistent transverse position in the first stage of labor could be a flag of a bony pelvis issue because if it had room to rotate, it probably would have, even if it's in the wrong direction like OP. But I don't want to focus on this one. The purpose of this episode and the focus is on 
when should we try to rotate that child from an OP position? Should we do it in the first stage or should we wait and do it in the second stage? And what is the traditional norm? Do most people wait until the second stage or try to manually rotate? That's what we're going to get to. And we're going to use the articles, the, the published literature to get us there. Okay, And even ACOG in its bulletin on operative vaginal delivery, uh, they touch on this. And I'm going to talk about that as well. That's practice bulletin number 219 from 2020. That's operative vaginal birth. But we'll get to there in a minute. Okay, But this is really something that is clinically common. I mean, this is not unusual. My response typically is, oh, she's seven centimeters, thinks she's OP. Cool. Keep on going. Uh, Change your position if you want to. Make her comfortable uh, and see if the baby can self-rotate. Again, the whole data on maternal positions and, 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 and rotating the baby is a little gray. There's more data showing that maternal position movements helps the baby descend, but rotation is a separate issue. Okay, And I want to be very clear. I'm all for maternal position changes in labor. Laboring on your back is very difficult, and it's hard to push a kid out uh, on your back. Okay, that's a very Western thing. And I've got a whole episode on this called Lessons Learned from Midwifery, where obviously a a squatty position, back up, not so uh, recumbent, all of these things have a role to try to move that baby down. But those are in terms of fetal descent, not necessarily rotation. Okay, so that's the question. If you get called in the first stage of labor, whether she's six, seven, eight centimeters, and there's a concern that she's OP, should you try to stick your hand in there and try to rotate it either manually or digitally or just let it go? We now have ultrasounds that have actually given us some super helpful info. Okay, so we're going to get us there. I'm going to give you an answer for that. Because there is a traditional time of when manual rotation, as opposed to instrumental rotation, uh, can be done. Okay, but I get this call not infrequently, and the nurses typically say, "Hey, she's like eight centimeters. Do you want to rotate her? You want to come in and see if you can rotate her?" Uh, which I'm going to tell you my response now, which is basically letting the cat out of the bag. But uh, my answer is typically. Uh, no, I, why would I want to do that? Let her do it. That's called the cardinal phases of labor. But I've already gotten ahead of myself. Hey, listen, podcast family, this is super interesting and part of our little detours of history. Remember I said, uh, let the cat out of the bag. Y'all never know. Did y'all ever think about where that came from? Super interesting because it never related to a true cat, like the animal cat. This is fascinating, okay? Most people attribute that story, and I've totally derailed off my outline, but I I think you'll find this interesting, of letting the cat out of the bag. That was a punishment tool, okay? So there was basically a whip, all right, Uh, that was called the the cat of tails, and it had like nine ribbons, uh, and sometimes it was just leather, sometimes it had little things in the leather, um, and it was a punishment thing, old old Royal Navy, when there was either a true transgression or like a mutiny attempt or some kind of corrective issue. It was a big kind of crime uh, on the ship. Uh, the story goes, and historians will tell you, is that that whip would be taken out of its little sack, which was typically red, as in like red hot, like red painful, okay? And so the cat whip, uh, the cat of nine tails, uh, was kept in the bag. So when they said, oh, oh, it's right, you let the cat out of the bag, that meant something typically negative was coming. But once it was out, the the, the uh, sailor in charge, um, usually somebody in a high rank, couldn't put it back in until its job was done. 
okay, which was inflicting pain or punishment uh, on the target uh, of the correction. Is that wild or what? So cat out of the bag uh, is actually has nothing to do with a cat like meow meow. It has to do with a punishment thing and is typically attributed uh, to the old Royal uh, Navy, to the armadas as a way of keeping soldiers in line, uh, typically as a way to correct the old drunken so- uh, sailors that would come in. Uh, and or a true mut- a mutiny attempt. Is this crazy or what? So letting the cat out of the bag uh, was a corrective measure. So then once it was out, it, it was already out. Hence the origin of letting the cat out of the bag. Well, okay, now that we've totally lost track of that, I just thought that was interesting. I had to put that in there, cat out of the bag. There's some weird stuff that we say. You're like, oh, if you know the history of that, you're like, well, that's kind of whack. I don't, I don't know if we should really be using that. Anywho, uh, back to your rotation. I, I always, when I was a resident, uh, I, I always thought uh, of this song. I don't know if you remember it or not, but I'll tell you here in a minute. But when the baby was coming, persistent OP, I always thought, you know, we'd do that manual rotation, try to get it, if not straight away, then at least in some form of OA, either LOA or ROA, whatever, uh, based on how the baby originally was. We'd always joke about this with uh, with our resident group. We'd go, oh, yeah, that baby said, man, you just spun me right round, baby, right round. Joe, remember that? That was a great song. I don't know if you remember it or not, but if you don't, you're missing out. Okay, so if you don't know that song by Dead or Alive, it was called You Spin Me Round Round. Oh my goodness. I mean, okay, a little eccentric, let's just say, but man, was that a song. Yep. I think if a baby could talk, it would say, you spin me right round, baby, right round. Oh my goodness, this is why my team says, what are you doing? What is wrong with you? (laughs) And to which I say, um, oh, you love it. Okay, before my entire team quits, let's get back to work. Well, that was a nice little detour. Let's get back to the cardinal movements in labor. Now you're going to have Dead or Alive stuck in your head. I'm telling you. I think that, was that like their only song? No, they had another one. It was Dead, it was You Spin Me Right Round and then something else. Right in the middle of that, you know, mid-80s kind of weird dance club music. My goodness, that brings back some kind of sad memories, weird memories. So let's get back to this issue of cardinal movements in labor. You learned it. I learned it the very American and Western way that there are seven cardinal phases of movement. And the way that this relates to what we're talking about is that one of those cardinal phases is internal rotation. All right. That's what we're trying to do. If the baby can do internal rotation by itself, we don't need to stick our hands in there to do it. Okay. So internal rotation is part of the cardinal phases of labor, okay? I know you learned that. If you didn't, we're going to rehash that right now and give you a super easy way to remember it, the way that the baby kind of goes through the mechanics to exit the vagina. Now, this is not new. This has been taught for over 40 years, but not everybody teaches it the same. It is the very Western-slash-American way uh, that documents seven cardinal movements. However, 
parts of Europe, like uh, Germany uh, and other uh, Switzerland, they actually use four movements. They say, yeah, three of those can get kicked out. So let me explain, all right? And the way that this relates to what we're talking about is, again, if it internally rotates and we don't have to, and we can be patient knowing that it's part of the cardinal phases of labor. Now, have you ever seen this? Because this is the coolest thing. When you have a patient who's like, who's complete, maybe plus two, she's a grand multip, and two fingers in the introitus and the vaginal entrance, and you spread the labia out a little bit, see where the baby is, and you say push, and you see that head, I mean, just spin and rotate and, and come on out. And you've actually just seen internal rotation, extension, and then, of course, that external rotation. It's amazing uh, how that happens. And you can see it happen as it rotates in the vagina because there's a lot of vaginal laxity, again, typically in a multiparous patient or grand multip. And you just see this happen, okay? But let's do the seven cardinal phases, and I'll tell you which ones uh, which three some people kick out, okay? So in the U.S. and very Western, we talk about the first one, which of course is engagement. That's when the widest part of the fetal head, the BPD, has now entered the pelvic inlet. And so the leading part of the baby's head, of course, is at zero station, uh, which is at the same level of the spines. We all get that, right? That's engagement. That's the first stage, uh, first phase, rather, of the cardinal phases of labor. So labor has three stages, stage one, two, and three, but it has seven phases per Western medicine and U.S. uh, uh, nomenclature. Okay, so if you remember this, I was taught this uh, as a medical student when my attending and OB, oh my, who's a big attending, right? One of the authors, Williams Obstetrics. Uh, it, it was just a joke, but I've never forgotten it. And look, it's been some time and I still remember. He said, Hector, Never forget that the first stage is engagement. And then once you get engaged, it's all descent from there. And you're like, oh, my goodness, this is somebody who had already been divorced, needless to say. But while it was all tongue in cheek uh, and kind of morbid and and kind of darkly comedic, he was right. Because the first thing was engagement, then comes descent. Engagement and then descent. And then the way that he told it so that we wouldn't forget is you get engaged, it's all downhill. Then you got to flex your way out. So that's flexion. So engagement, descent, flexion, here it is, guys, internal rotation, and then comes extension of the head, external uh, rotation or restitution, and then expulsion. Those are the seven, okay? Some people kick out three of those because their thought is, hey, this isn't even a maneuver. This is just, it's just, you're just on the road, so we should kick out, and the ones that they kick out are engagement, because engagement is not a real maneuver. That's just coming into the pelvis. Uh, they kick out descent. It's like, no, that's not a maneuver. That's just what it does. The, the, the cardinal phases are the actual rotations. And then they say expulsion. That's not a maneuver. That's mainly the provider aiding the child out. So those are the three that they kick out. If you want a reference for this little controversy, this little discussion of is it four or is it seven cardinal movements in labor, this came out not long ago in November 2021 in AJOG MFM, the Pink Journal. And the title is exactly that. It's, quote, there are four, not seven, cardinal movements in labor, end quote. This was under expert reviews from the AJOG the Pink Journal, which is MFM, again, November 2021. 
I do favor, obviously, the Western, the inclusion of the three, because I think without engagement, if you never drop into the true pelvis, then it's just not going to come out. So that's a super important thing. But I get the discussion. It's just an academic debate, guys. Please don't, you know, lose friends over it. I can't believe there's four. I can't believe you said that there's seven. It's not that big of a deal. But you can see the argument both ways, right? What everybody agrees on, whether you're on the four camp or the seven uh, is that, look, things need to happen in the vagina in that canal as a baby comes down, and it's not just like it just drops and out of the vagina there's the kid. Part of that is external rotation. And where is external rotation? It's towards the end because right where there's internal rotation, that's only followed by extension of the baby's head. Well... If that's going to be right before extension of the baby's head, that would mean that internal rotation is at second stage. Do y'all get that? So that's why when I said earlier that a nurse calls and said, I think she's OP. Oh, well, is she ready to push? No, no, she's like six or seven centimeters or eight centimeters. So what? Okay, well, she's got to go through the cardinal phases. And rather than me trying to mess with it and do something, give the baby a big vagal reaction, and then we section her because of fetal intolerability, let's just wait to see if it rotates. Maybe try some positional changes, a little controversial. Uh, it can't hurt and can only help. Do y'all get where I'm going? So I already told you that I was going to tell you all this as we build the case, but I kind of rushed the bit. But the majority of the practice, and we're going to talk about whether it is manual or digital, we're going to get into all that and the techniques for this. Typically, the majority of the time, it's understood that manual rotation is not a first stage of labor issue. Now, I'm going to give you that ultrasound data in a minute. It is that second stage. See, never see a movie with me that I've already seen because I just can't help it. I just, I've got to get to the end. It's part of the way my brain works. Uh, and I, I know, I'm sorry. Just the other day, I had somebody who had never seen, can you believe it, Steel Magnolias, the old Sally Field, uh, Julia Roberts movie. What a fan, a whole list of A-line actors in that uh, from the 80s. Steel Magnolia, what a, what a great Southern movie, right? Uh, and she, and she was watching one of our house guests and I thought she'd seen it before. Uh, and she's watching it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's such a sad movie. She goes, oh, I know. It's just, how great is this? And I said, oh, I just I hate it when she dies. It's terrible. And of course she went, what? She dies? Uh-oh, spoiler. Sorry. Manual rotation is defined as the act of going typically from occiput posterior to an occiput anterior position. Doesn't have to be straight away, but somewhere where the occiput is above the horizontal plane into the anterior compartment of the pelvis. Now remember that manual rotation, by definition, manual means with your hand. So there's two ways to rotate a kid, manual or instrumental, which we'll talk about in a minute because that's covered again in ACOG's practice bulletin number 219 from 2020. Okay, so that's the tip, never done with a vacuum. Don't rotate with a vacuum. You can only do it with forceps. Uh, and the degree of rotation, either less than 45 degrees or more than 45 degrees, gives you the category of, of the, whether that's outlet or low. Okay, and now I'll go into that in just a moment. Just hang in there for a minute. But that is in, in ACOG's operative vaginal birth. And remember, where is that rotation? Whether it's under 45 degrees or more than 45 degrees, that is done at second stage at time of delivery, right? So there's two main categories of rotation, either instrumental, which typically means forceps for us in the US, uh, in Canada, or manual. 
And in manual, there's two subdivisions there as well, okay? Because manually, you can do it with your whole hand, and I'll give you those two different techniques in a minute, or you can do digital. Most people prefer manual whole hand rotation versus digital, but it depends on the baby's position and your comfort level, uh, and you can get much more control with a whole hand rotation. However, in a primogravita, putting your whole hand up in there is difficult and somewhat kind of tight. So digital rotation has a place. Okay, so let's knock out digital rotation first. Digital rotation is your fingers, right? So the digits, not digital like computerized. So take your fingers and that's where you put it on the medial aspect of either the lumboidal suture or the coronal suture. Okay, so you got you got to know it. So the lumboidal or the coronal, you feel the baby's skull, and then you put a little bit of just lateral pressure, and literally just try to rotate counterclockwise or clockwise based on which way the baby's head is. All right. Typically, this is done without flexion or moving the head up a little bit uh, to disimpact. And the reason is you just don't have that kind of, of of control just with your fingers. So if you think it's just, just you got to get it just a little bit out of that uh, maybe ROP position, then digital rotation with your fingers on the lamboidal or the coronal suture can try to do that, but that does not involve flexion of the baby's head uh, or disimpaction, okay? So it's a little bit less... Um, technically difficult it may work but you don't get as much control but if you're on again tight vaginal uh, vaults primogravita that may be all that you can do and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't also hurts your fingers a little bit i don't like to do that very much and the reason that it's not first line is because putting pressure on the sutures is okay it's just so just it's it is safe um but just you got to know what you're doing okay so don't try this if you've never done it, practice on the doll, practice on a simulation so you can get this uh, correctly. Of course, ideally, this patient has a good epidural or a good pudendal of it if you have to do that uh, because it, it's a lot of pressure in the vagina. However, you have much more control with manual rotation, putting the hand in the vagina to uh, cushion the baby's head, grab the baby's head, and then rotate clockwise or counterclockwise. Uh, because there you can actually flex. So you got to know where the back of the baby's head is, right? That's how you know that it's occiput posterior. You got to flex, so put the chin down towards the chest, uh, and then disimpact a little bit, and then rotate as you disimpact, okay? Now, the way that you disimpact is either by pushing in just a little bit, but typically it's disimpaction by um, kind of pushing upwards towards the pubic symphysis and in at the same time. Guys, it is a skill. That's why it's good to do a simulation. You don't just put your hand in there and try to rotate it. You try to flex it and then try to move as you move up towards the pubic symphysis and in a little bit to disimpact. Then you try to rotate in one continuous movement. Does that make sense? Think about it in your head, right? So hand cupping the baby's head moving up towards the pubic symphysis and in at the same time, and then rotate. It's it's incredible. You just got to be careful that um, you, there has been rare case reports where if you push too high, it obviously can cause a vagal reaction uh, and or you can drop a cord. It's unusual because now at this time you've already done engagement and you're at second stage, but weird stuff has happened. Okay, so digital rotation or manual rotation are the two main types, and most people favor manual rotation. All right, everyone, so let's look at our little decision tree first. So the first box that we have says rotation of the fetal head. One arm says manual. The other arm says instrumental. Under the manual, you've got whole hand or digital. 
Okay, and now now we're going to subdivide the manual because as we just said, putting your whole hand in there, there's two techniques there, right? So let's, let's do this as a mental box, little flow chart again. First is fetal rotation, manual or forceps, instrumental. Under manual, you've got whole hand, manual or digital. And under manual, you've got two little divisions there. You have the TC technique, that's letter T, letter C, now, I always say TC technique because the name is like French and I can't say it. It's like Tarnier uh, Chantreau, okay? And I know I butchered that, but it's a TC technique. And the other is so much easier. It's the SOGC technique from the Society of Obstetricians and Gynecologists Canada, SOGC. That is Canada's ACOG, right? So I'll tell you the TC method and then the SOGC method. They're very similar. It just depends on how you put your hand. In the T and C technique, you take the right hand of the operator behind the right ear of the baby uh, if it's left posterior position. Does that make sense? So think about it. So you're looking at the vulva, right? Baby's head, the occiput, is on the mom's left-hand side. Does that make sense? So it's our the baby's occiput is on our right-hand side. So we put our right hand in. And then we're going to grab the baby's head and then try to rotate it accordingly to occiput anterior. If, however, it's on the other side, then you use your left hand and you put it behind the left ear of the baby if it's right occiput posterior. Does that make sense? So think about it. You're looking at the vulva. Baby's head uh, is facing the mom's right side, which is our left so that in that case you can put your left hand grab the ear and then try to rotate it okay so that is a t and c technique so you got to know which way the baby's occiput is and if it is if the baby's occiput is towards mom's left which is our right put your right hand in if it is towards mom's right which is our left put your left hand in and then go clockwise or counterclockwise accordingly the SOGC technique is performed with the entire hand in the patient's vagina and with the palm facing upward, the head of the baby is slightly flexed and using that constant gentle pressure, uh, both up towards the pubic symphysis and in a little bit trying to rotate it. Okay. So it's, it's, they're very similar, but there's slight varieties. Okay. So T and C technique or the uh, SOGC technique. The SOGC technique is more uh, kind of palming the baby, whereas TNC is is more of the grip. God got that. TNC is more of the grip approach, like grabbing him by the ears and then rotating it, whereas the SOGC is more of using the palm approach uh, uh, to kind of rotate it. So I know it's semantics and super academic, but if you're gonna if you're gonna manually rotate, you should document everything. Hey, that baby is ROP. So because it's ROP, I'm going to use my left hand and try to rotate that baby. In that case, if it's ROP, I'm going to go clockwise. If, on the other hand, the baby is uh, LOP, I'm going to use my right hand and try to rotate that paper that baby counterclockwise. Y'all get that? It's important to document, not just well, I tried manual rotation. Where is the baby? The hardest one is straight OP because straight OP, you've got to go 180 degrees if you're going to go straight OA. So that's much more difficult. In that case, you don't have to get OA. You can just get to uh, ROA or LOA just to get that anterior compartment in the anterior part of the pelvis, okay? But so these techniques work with either, uh, whether it's at a deviation or if it's a straight OP issue. 
But there is a T and C technique, which is more of the grip, and then the SOGC, which is more of a palm technique. I know it's semantics, but our job is medical education, and that's how you should document that. Now that we've settled that whole issue of technique, let's get into some of the data here about um, when really we should intervene for this concern about oxbow posterior, all right? And 2021, for whatever reason, was kind of a big year in publications because uh, things kind of got grouped in 2021, and there's interesting data that came out of that year. So let's start in May of 2021 in the Gray Journal, AJOG, okay, the American Journal of OBGYN. The title of this publication is, When Does Fetal Head Rotation Occur in Spontaneous Labor at Term? Results of an Ultrasound-Based Longitudinal Study in Nulliparous Women. Okay, so this is really neat. That's exactly what we're talking about here, is when does the baby kind of turn and when should we worry about it and when shouldn't we worry about it? This was a single center prospective cohort that was done at the National University Hospital of Iceland. How cool is that? This spanned the time from January 2016 to April 2018. And again, it was published May 2021. I think this study is really neat, mainly because they got nulliparous women in labor to consent to having <laughs> ultrasound done throughout their uh, labor course to figure out which way the baby's head was looking. Okay, these were all cephalic, that's presentation, but they used ultrasound to look at the position, right? Now, we mentioned earlier, yes, you can check vaginally with, the, with your fingers, but by using ultrasound, it became much more objective. The objective of this study was, quote, to study and describe fetal head rotation in women in spontaneous labor at term using ultrasound longitudinally throughout the active phase, end quote. So that's it. Okay, you're in active labors, put the ultrasound over the abdomen, and then see if it is occiput anterior, left occiput transverse, occiput posterior, right occiput transverse. Where are the orbits based on ultrasound? And based on the orbit's location, then we can map out where the baby's head is. And then they tracked that baby's head rotation until delivery. Pretty neat, right? This group included 99 patients of whom 75 delivered spontaneously, 16 had instrumental assistance, and 8 ended up with a C-section. Here's the interesting stuff, guys. Occiput posterior was actually the most frequent position at the start of the labor process, right? At first examination, starting uh, at around 4 centimeters dilation. It was occiput posterior, and it wasn't until second stage after full dilation, and actually not until the head perineal distance, so basically right at the crowning interval, was less than 30 millimeters. Okay, head to perineum less than 30 millimeters, and at a head to perineal distance of less than 30 millimeters, 75% of those had already turned OA. So guys, you all get that? So most of the rotation happened in second stage and as it approached the introitus. They concluded, quote, we investigated the rotation of the fetal head in the active phase of labor in nulliparous women in spontaneous labor at term, using ultrasound to provide accurate and objective results. The occiput posterior position, here it is, guys, was the most common fetal position throughout the active phase of the first stage of labor. 
occiput anterior only became the most frequent position at full dilation and after the head had descended below the mid-pelvic plane, end quote. Wow. So they just stopped. How cool is that? Using ultrasound, they found the most common fetal head position during the first stage of labor was actually OP. What? So now when you get a phone call, hey, she's six, seven centimeters. I think she's OP. Fantastic. That's exactly what it's supposed to do until it gets later on and it starts to do that internal rotation and it's going to be okay. It, it really talks us off that ledge of anxiety that, oh man, should I put my hand in there and try to rotate it? It doesn't matter. Persistent occiput transverse is different. Remember we said that's probably a bony pelvis issue. It doesn't have a chance to rotate. Otherwise, leave it alone. It's going to rotate. It's going to be an issue, maybe at second stage, if it doesn't figure itself out. All to say, and I remember we let the cat out of the bag earlier, that manual rotation or instrumental rotation, but in this episode we're focusing on manual rotation, is a second stage of labor issue. And in that case, it can either be done prophylactically, like, oh, now I'm going to start pushing and your OP. Let me try to convert to OA to try to decrease your labor time. That's been studied. Um, versus therapeutic, like, hey, now we're running out of time and you're OP. Now we're either just going to try to do a straight vacuum or forceps in an OP position or try to manually rotate as therapeutic, all right? So at second stage, once you find that it's OP, you can either try to rotate prophylactically to try to shorten the second stage with some publications saying it does, others saying it does not, or you can do it therapeutically to uh, before you run out of time in the second stage of labor. All right, guys, we're going to start moving here full speed ahead because I don't want to run out of time here. Uh, but remember, that was May 2021, even though it was published ahead of print some months before that. So remember, 2021 just seemed to be a big year for this. So that was a prospective longitudinal study just looking at how the baby's head is during the natural course of spontaneous labor at term. But in sticking with our 2021 theme and in sticking with the Gray Journal, let's go to March 2021. So we're just talking about two months before that first publication came out. Let me read you same journal, right, the Gray Journal, this RCT focusing on the same thing. The title of this RCT is a randomized control trial of prophylactic early manual rotation of occiput posterior at the beginning of second stage versus expectant management. Okay, so we just talked about you can do it either uh, prophylactically. Hey, now you're complete. Oh, you're OP. Let me try to change that position manually or let's just see what happens. Okay, this was an RCT exactly in line with what we're talking about. This RCT randomized 65 patients, 35 to the early manual rotation group, and then 32 to the control. Well, here's what they found. Early manual rotation of occiput posterior to more anterior position, as you would expect, led to a shorter second stage of labor. But again, it was a very small cohort study. Uh, and the idea was maybe we needed larger randomized trials to validate these findings. This was out of Utah Valley Regional Medical Center. Uh, so it's a good study. I'm like, okay, hey, it, it shortened the second stage. It shortened the time of, of pushing uh, to a, a basically a mean difference of around 36 minutes. Okay, so it's not like an hour 
last, but 36 minutes is a long time. And it makes sense. That's biologically plausible. So remember, March 2021, according to this small RCT, manual rotation prophylactically at the start of pushing saved time. But listen to this. I love a good debate. I mean, that's how medicine should be, right? We need to have both sides of the argument. And I told you 2021 was a big year for this. We started with May with that longitudinal ultrasound study. We talked about the RCT in March 2021. Now let's bring forward again to June 2021. Guys, all of these things happened over a three-month span. March, May, and then June. Now this publication is in the Green Journal, okay? Obstetrics and Gynecology. Told you 2021, kind of clump things together. And interesting, once again, how things come in threes. All right, so put it together. Remember, March was the RCT, May, the longitudinal study, and now June 2021 in the Green Journal, another RCT, the title of which is, quote, Delivery Mode After Manual Rotation of Occiput Posterior Fetal Positions. Exactly what we're talking about. This was a single center randomized controlled trial with patients at term. They were all singleton, of course, and ultrasound confirmed occiput posterior positions at the start of second stage. Okay, it had nothing to do with first stage. Y'all seen the theme here. This has to do with second stage of labor. So patients were randomized. Oh, you're complete. Oh my goodness, the ultrasound looks like your occiput posterior. Let's try to either rotate this prophylactically or not. Let, let's see if we rotate it before, just as you start second stage, if that's going to shorten the duration of second stage, like the first RCT showed. Well, this one was a little bit different because this showed that manual rotation did not decrease the rate of operative vaginal delivery, and it actually didn't speed up time at all. The authors concluded, quote, Manual rotation of occiput posterior positions at the start of second stage of labor does not increase the rate of vaginal delivery without instrumental assistance. End quote. Little interesting, huh? So you got one RCT saying, hey, just, yeah, it can definitely help. The other says you can try to do it early, but it's not really going to make a big difference because if it didn't rotate, probably there's something going on either with expulsive forces or the pelvis. So all to say, it's a little controversial. But what's not controversial is that manual rotation was at second stage. Just to be complete and also be a little bit devil's advocate. I really hate that term, devil's advocate. Who wants to be the devil's advocate? Okay, anyway, uh, there was a publication by Yang et al. that was published in the Journal of International Medical Research in 2020. I'm not that familiar with that journal. I don't think it's just specific OBGYN. But nonetheless, they did do a study using a specific birthing stool called the U-shaped stool where patients uh, were in the active phase of labor and then had manual rotation for occiput posterior. Okay, And yeah, it, it worked in some cases. But that is really kind of the outlier. But I just wanted to be, be very clear. There is publications, this one's from 2020, of trying to rotate in the first stage of labor. But the rebuttal to that is, number one, most people do it at the second stage because you're intervening for something that probably doesn't need to be intervened on because of the cardinal phases and when internal rotation happens. Number two, we know that what's the most common position in the first stage of labor? Augsburg posterior, according to the 2021 publication. And number three, if you change it too early, like at six or seven centimeters, try to rotate to OA, 
it may rotate back. It's like doing an external cephalic version too early. You can get success, but it can flip back. So only do it when it's really going to have an impact. And most of the impact is that second stage. So I just wanted to be clear, there is a publication during of manual rotation in the first stage of labor. But let me read you this from that RCT uh, that we just talked about from March 2021 in AJOG. Because they, summar- they summarize this whole dilemma of should I put my hand in there at first stage or leave it for second stage? They, they have it very nicely uh, and succinctly described in the introduction of that RCT. Quote, management of OP fetal head position in the first stage of labor is generally accepted to be expectant. End quote. So let's stop there for a minute. Okay. There you, there you have it. In general... Most of that is just see what happens. They go on to say, quote, However, management of persistent OP fetal head position in the second stage of labor is more varied, with options being cesarean delivery, operative vaginal delivery from the OP position, or use of rotational forceps, or manual rotation to a more favorable occiput anterior position, end quote. Well, there you have it. So, Can we intervene in the first stage of labor for suspected OP? Absolutely. Is it necessary? Probably not. So what's my advice? Well, you can try position changes, of course, which again is more data strong for descent, maybe not so much fetal rotation, but leave the manual rotation for second stage because according to ultrasound evidence, it's okay to be OP in the first stage. It's going to figure itself out. And if it doesn't, you can address that either prophylactically or therapeutically in the second stage of labor because the data there, whether it's prophylactic or therapeutic, doesn't seem to have benefit one over the other as long as you recognize the position and then act accordingly with one of those options, either cesarean delivery, manual rotation, or instrumental rotation as needed. And the last thing that we're going to talk about since we talked about instrumental rotation is that ACOG practice bulletin number 219, where it talks about rotation uh, based on the type of, of uh, degrees that need uh, to, to be done. So that if you have rotation that is less than 45 degrees, that's the considered less risk than if you had rotation that requires more than 45 degrees. Remember that in general, with outlet forceps, that's when the fetal scalp is visible at the introitus without needing to separate the labia. That includes rotation that does not exceed 45 degrees. But if there is rotation greater than 45 degrees and the fetal skull is at plus two, but not yet seen as crowning, that is low forceps. So rotation does not exceed 45 degrees and the fetal head is visible at the introitus, that is outlet. And then low forceps is with the leading point of the fetal skull at two plus or more. And then without rotation, that's when rotation is 45 degrees or less or with rotation when it's 45 degrees or more. All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. We have covered fetal manual rotation. First or second stage practice seems to be best done at second stage. Podcast family, as always, we're thankful for you and we're glad you're part of our podcast community. We'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.